Amen. I want you to take God's word with me this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm chapter 94. Psalm 94. This is a chapter that my wife and I read just a couple of days ago, a few days ago now, just four days ago, and it was brought brought to my mind again today. There's a lot happening in the world. I want to speak a little bit about it um, this evening. We started looking at the book of Romans, well, really considering the need to be established. I remind you of that. Romans chapter 1, verse number 11, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, ye may be established. And I am convinced more and more that the saying that was true in the Old Testament concerning Israel is true today, that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. God's people are being destroyed because they are not established. In thinking on this thought of being established in the truth over the last week, my mind has been brought to a number of passages. One of those passages is Hebrews chapter 6. If you hold your place in the book of Psalms and turn to Hebrews 6, it's interesting the correlation or the parallel that many of the books of Scripture have and how they work together and they build upon one another, they add to one another. And Hebrews is in one of those books that alongside of Romans and alongside of Galatians teaches us much about the grace of God and the law of God. But in Hebrews chapter 6, it follows, Hebrews 6 verse 1 follows a very strong indictment against the people of God that was given at the end of chapter 5. In fact, look at, look at the last few verses of Hebrews 5. I think it's very much a description of the people of God today. And that the author of Hebrews is saying that he, he has a lot to say about Jesus Christ, who is, look at verse number 9, um, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's Jesus, the author of eternal salvation. How many of you know that? Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. The author of Hebrews says, look, there's a lot about Jesus that you need to hear that I need to teach you, but I can't because you're dull of hearing. Now, I, I'm going to pick on Dylan for a second. Dylan has 90% hearing loss in one of his ears. That means in one of Dylan's ears, he only has 10% of hearing. That's why sometimes he says, huh? So uh, he can't help it. He's dull of hearing. Now, it doesn't mean he can't hear, but his hearing is dull. It isn't sharp. And therefore, spiritually speaking, we have a very vivid picture of someone who cannot hear the things of God. And can I tell you, the majority of Christianity today is dull of hearing. We could hear, but we will not hear. He goes on, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, 
and not of strong meat. And that the, the indictment, or you could say the accusation against the people of God, is that they should be in a place where they're teaching. They've been converted long enough. They have been born again long enough, beneath the word of God long enough, dwelling with the Spirit of God, supposedly long enough, they should be teaching. But instead, they need to be taught. He goes on. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Uh, we understand the analogy. Samson is just gone three months, something like that. And uh, he cannot handle a steak. He doesn't have any teeth. Micah can. Micah has just crossed over the 13-year mark. He thinks he's a young man now. He can handle a steak. He can eat as much steak as I can. But a baby cannot. Now, think about it for a second. Titus can. How old are you? Nine years old? Titus can handle a steak almost as much as I can eat. Now, that's the physical analogy that's laid against the spiritual one. Meaning, if you've been saved for any length of time, for any number of years, you ought to have been developed, matured in your walk. You ought to be to the place where you can hear and receive the truths about Jesus Christ, who was made a high priest, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But what we do, we hear the word Melchizedek and can't hardly pronounce it and we skip it. Which is an indication we are still babies. If it's difficult, if it takes any effort, if it takes our mind working a little bit longer, then we don't want it. We want something easy, simple, put it on a plate like milk, put it in a cup so I can drink it. We're like these people. Babies. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Would you look here for a moment? Are you unskillful in the word of righteousness? For he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, mature. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Discernment is one of those gifts that increases the more you use it. The more you exercise discernment, the more discernment you gain. The less you exercise it, the less you have. Strong meat belongs to those who are full age, even those who by reason of use. Are you using what God has given you? If you're not, you're still on a bottle. You're still a baby. Therefore, chapter 6, look at it. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... That word principle means the first things. The first things. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Here's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. You're a baby and we need to move beyond it. We have got to grow up spiritually. That doesn't mean you ever forget about the principles, the first things of Christ, but it means you build on them. Now that is further explained by what he says, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation. Can I just say one of our big problems today in 2023 is we're trying to build spiritual houses without a foundation. 
and we're talking about things and there's never been a foundation laid. We know nothing of the principles, the foundational truths of Christianity. We know nothing. And we have big dreams and ideas of helping people and edifying people and being used in the work of God. But we ourselves are unskillful in the word of righteousness. And we don't know what to do. And now my plea tonight is this, is that we expedite the process. There is no shortcut, by the way. There's no shortcut. I'm trying to, be, many of you know, um, with the help of our friend Reuben, I've been trying to build a shed in my back garden for my office. And uh, my temptation is to cut corners. But we first had to lay a foundation. And I am just not very patient. I'd rather just, if you know, we, we built a, we built a shed at Stanley without a foundation. We slapped it up with a few, with a few, uh, sticks because I didn't want to wait. But if you want something to be done right, the foundation must be laid right. And here's what I'm saying. If our Christian faith is ever going to stand the test of time, then we've got to work on the foundation now. And if you've built on sand, it's better to take it all down, make sure you're on the foundation and start again. Because some of your theology and some of the things we believe and we hold to are not laid upon the foundation of the principles of Christ, the doctrine of Christ. And he gives six things. Look at him. Six things. Foundation of repentance. We were talking about that, haven't we? Repentance from dead works. And that's twofold. That means this, that the sin of our life is dead works. Anything we do outside of Christ is dead. But also the works of self-righteousness. That's dead works. Do you know one of the hardest things for a person to do is to admit that they're not good enough to get to God? One of the hardest things for a person to do is come to the place when they recognize nothing they do or say will ever gain them favor with God. Your church attendance, the money you give. I've got somebody right now who gets upset. Uh, a while ago, they, they donated some money to the Crown Christian Heritage Trust, and they think that gives them a ticket of, of uh, priority. People sometimes think if they give money, then all, they must then be more spiritual or they must be granted special access. Hogwash. Keep your money. Nothing you do or give will give you special access into the things of God. Nothing. And people like to think that if they do something, give something, then they have impressed God. Nothing impresses God. Repentance from dead works. He goes on. The foundation of faith toward God. The foundation of the doctrine of baptisms. The foundation of the laying on of hands. Of the resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. Six things. Now some of those things are a little bit challenging. So we'd rather avoid them. But by God's grace we'll look at them. But I want you to go back to Psalm 94. Because the reason we're talking about this today, continuing to consider the need to be established is this. Are you listening? We are living in a ever increasingly dark world. It is getting worse and worse. I was speaking with a friend here recently who was saying, well, there are some who imagine uh, that actually the, the timeline of, in, of end time events, things are going to get better. And things have always been bad. Yes, things have always been bad, of course. Anytime there's been man, it's been bad. 
But I just don't think that's what we're seeing. The latest news from Scotland is that four-year-olds are allowed to change their gender at school without talking to their parents. Think about that. They're not allowed to choose whether or not they want to go to school, but they can choose what gender they want to be. They're not allowed to drive an automobile at four o'clock, but surely they can choose what they want to be, a boy or a girl. Think about it. They're not allowed to choose what they want to eat, but yet they're allowed to choose their gender. And if you, if you, if you were to say, you know what, my child, my four-year-old doesn't want to take a bath, and so therefore we don't make them take a bath, and we let them get infested with nits and everything else because they don't want to take a bath, we would be done with child abuse, but yet you're allowed to change your gender at the age of four-year-old. That's child abuse. A woman was arrested in this country for standing outside of an abortion clinic and praying in her head. In this country. The Church of England is now considering today whether or not God is going to be gender, gender neutral. Think about it. They're going to have a big discussion about it. And the courts are now trying to give access to some of the priests right now so that they can, against the wishes of, apparently right now, still, the Church of England says you can't officially marry same-sex, have same-sex marriages, but yet the courts are going to overrule that and allow them to. They're even talking about taking away the status of a state church. That would be a good thing, I think. But anyways, they're discussing whether God is going to be gender neutral. Imagine. Imagine. All the while, Americans celebrating their favorite artists at the Grammy Awards, people dressed up like Satan with demons. Think about it. These are the, these are the ones our children idolize. Being promoted, given a platform. This artist given a platform for the whole world to see. This artist who came out as being gay, sodomite a while ago, and then transgender, and then demanding you call them they. Now dressing up as Satan with all of his, his little artist friends and his performance as little demons. That is being publicized. That is being promoted. Singing a song called Unholy. I'll tell you why he wants to be called they because he's been demonized himself. 11,500 in, in a death toll rising in, in Turkey. Iran threatening Israel with underground air, air base. Russian Ukraine tensions rising on and on. A plane, Malaysian Airlines shot down, 300 people killed. And it all goes, and supposedly the world's becoming a better place. Now, how we respond particularly to these, to these flagrant, outright attacks on God and Christianity, how we respond to those says a lot about who you are. These are open, obvious attacks against Christianity. Praying outside of an abortion clinic in your head, arrested. Letting children choose their gender without the parents' permission at our schools. I'd be afraid to send children to schools today. And, and this now consideration of whether God's going to be, it's, it's blasphemy in how we respond says more about your Christianity than it does about them. 
Oh, calm down. It's not a big deal. That says much more about your Christianity than it does about them. And much of that is because we are not established on the truth of God's word. We would rather laugh and just brush off this outward display of Satanism with a song entitled Unholy that the whole world has heard about today. We'd rather brush that off than actually live a holy life because it's easier to go with the flow of unholiness than it is to live a life of holiness. Psalm 94, look at it with me, please. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth. Show thyself. That's a prayer. And if something is inside of you isn't bothered by the current condition of the world, then my friend, you have become climatized and desensitized. If your hair doesn't stand up on the back of your neck when you hear about these things, if you don't feel sick when you see this happening, then something's wrong. I had to lay down this afternoon. I felt unwell thinking about these things. Uh, oppression just thinking about it and the author of psalm 94 acknowledges the only one that can do anything about it is god O lord god to whom vengeance belongeth they tell me that dr johnson thinks samuel johnson the man who who put together edited one of the first english dictionaries made a distinction between vengeance and revenge Revenge being a, an act of, uh, of um, emotion, but vengeance being a just reward for crime. Vengeance belongeth to God. Show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. And I don't know a better word to describe these kinds of people than proud. Yeah. To flagrantly, openly oppose God in such a fashion. By the way, if you can't see, this is a direct attack against you and I, the people of God, against God and his people. In these days, there is this sifting work, this dividing work already. Because the world knows that the one problem, the one opposition to Satan and all he's trying to do is the people of God. That's it. The one thing that stands in Satan's way is us, the church. And these things, these events show who the church of God really is. Lord, verse 3, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Now, this ought to be the tone of your prayer. Listen to it. He can't even, he has to repeat himself twice already. O Lord, to whom vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth. Show thyself. Lift up thyself. Thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Because that's what it looks like, doesn't it? 
And on top of that, there are a million other little problems that each one of God's people are facing right now. Do you know that? On top of all of these grand things, there are little things that Satan is inflicting against the people of God, the families of God, the marriages of God's people. All of these things are stacking and piling up. And we say, how long? How long, Lord? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. You notice the two things that are under attack? The people of God and the heritage of God. The people of God. That's us. If you be genuinely born again. Now, can I just say one of the reasons people struggle with assurance, one of the reasons I'm talking about those who've actually been born again. I'm not talking about those who are seeking and not sure, but those who have passed from death to life and have been born again. One of the reasons we struggle with assurance is because we're not established. If we would be established in the truth, we could look back over our lives and see the evidence of repentance in our life. You remember something we talked about, God working repentance in our mind and then working repentance in our heart and then working repentance in our will so that we actually change. And if we were to be able to look back at our life and say, yes, God changed my mind about the way I used to live, then I grieved about my sin. I used to enjoy my sin. Now I hate it. Not only that, but God's turned me around. See, if you had some establishing in the, the principles of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, then you would have more assurance. But unfortunately, we're not being established. And Satan is very clever. He knows if we if he gets us up the foundation, then everything else we build is just crumbling away. You can blow on it and it falls over. But these two things are under attack. The people of God and the heritage of God. Think about it. They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. You know why they say that? Because they don't believe in him. How else could somebody stand on an international platform dressed as the devil and flagrantly blaspheme the name of God unless they didn't think that God would see neither shall the God of Jacob regard it but understand ye brutish among the people and ye fools when will ye be wise he that planted the ear shall he not hear he that formed the eye shall he not see he that chastiseth the heathen shall not he correct he that teacheth man knowledge shall not he know the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Now, can I just say, this ought to be found somewhere in our evangelistic efforts. It has to be. We are not, I want you to hear me, we are not living in a society that needs to be petted to heaven. It would be different if someone had been afflicted by religion, and the law had been beat upon them and they were so fearful of Almighty God that they trembled and they dare not even lift their eyes because they lived in such oppression. Then we would be able to say unto them, look unto me and be saved. We could say unto them, look, there's a God in heaven that doesn't want to destroy you, he wants to save you. But we're facing a people who do not even care about the idea of God. 
And somewhere in our evangelism, people need to be told not just the goodness of God, but the severity of God as well. It must be. That to continue on like this, acting like there's no God, you're like a brutish person is what he says. You're a fool. If you've got an ear that can hear, don't you realize someone gave you that ear and you think he can't hear you? By the way, that goes back to one of those six foundational truths that are found in Hebrews 6. The last one mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 6 was this, eternal judgment. That's missing. We're afraid to offend people. We don't want to talk about it, but the truth is, sometimes that's precisely what somebody needs to hear. They're going to stand before God one day. They're going to stand before Almighty God one day who's heard every blasphemous thing they've said. Somebody needs to look at that chap, whatever that fella's called, who dressed up like Satan and say, one day you're going to meet the God you've mocked. And you'll have your place, unless you repent, you'll have your place in chains next to the one you've been dressing like. He that planted the ear shall he not hear. He that formed the eye shall he not see. He that chastiseth the heathen shall he not correct. He that teacheth man knowledge shall he not know. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. Not just your words. Not just the way you've acted. He knows your thoughts. Now look here. Sometimes we, we, walk, out, we walk out of this. Sometimes in a tent, in a meeting like this, we get a little sense of the holiness of God. But I'm telling you, as soon as you walk out of those flaps, before you walk out, Satan is already trying to counteract it. And you walk into schools, children, if you're going to school, you walk into schools where it is a cloud of darkness so you can't see. And if you're not careful, that darkness will infiltrate your soul. You walk into your, you drive into your communities. And it's as if there was a power outage and there's no light at all because the only light, the only source of spiritual light is from you. And if you're not constantly throwing wood or coal on the fire, then your light is growing dim. All of these things will oppress your soul unless you keep it hot. Unless you keep your nose in this book. Look, who, who, who wouldn't want to crawl in a cave somewhere and, and just hide out till Jesus comes unless you kept your nose in the book? Keep reading. Blessed is the man. Now that's what I wanted to hear because up until now I haven't heard too much encouragement from this chapter. It's reality though, isn't it? It's reality about the day we're living in right now. I don't even want to look at the news, because, but it's helpful to recognize where we're going. But I don't even want to look at it because it's such darkness. But we do hear from God, blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Let me tell you, we've been talking about uh, the blessed man. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the weak. You could almost say that's repentance in your mind, in your heart, and in your will. Right there, in those three, first three Beatitudes. We find another blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth. Have you ever been chastened in your soul? Has God ever just given you a good slap, spiritually speaking? And you knew that you had done wrong. You hadn't been living the way that you should. You were in compromise some way or another. You weren't the man or the woman you ought to be. And God showed you and boy, it grieved you. 
Do you know one of the things that my wife and I look for when we're trying to correct our children, when we're trying to help them, is we, we look for a mind and reaction that, that they acknowledge they've done wrong. Sometimes you can, you can fuss at a child, you can get after a child and say, why did you do that? And they don't see what they've done wrong. They don't see the big deal. That's the way most of us are. But blessed is a man that whom the Lord chasteneth and teacheth. They go hand in hand. God is so good. He doesn't just chastise us, but he then corrects us. And how does he do it? How does God do it? Out of thy law. Out of the word. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Do you remember what Paul wrote to Timothy and 2 Timothy chapter 3? And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Watch this. And is profitable. All scripture is profitable for doctrine. That's that dirty word that nobody likes today. Doctrine means teaching what you believe. We don't do doctrine. Some people say, we don't do doctrine at our church. Well, what do you do? Entertainment? Social club? Doctrine is teaching. It's what you believe. If you don't do doctrine, you don't do God. All scripture is profitable for doctrine. That's what we believe for reproof. You know what that is? That's God giving you a good slap. Reproving you. Saying you shouldn't have done that. Scripture does that. Do you know why we avoid scripture? Because it's like a mirror. The Bible says it's like a mirror. What did James say? Woe unto that man who looks into the, the mirror of God's word and sees. Sees what he's done wrong and turns away. Let me, let me read it for you. The book of James in chapter number one. If any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and he goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Most believers today would rather not open the book because they know in opening the book, there's a chance in opening the word, there's a chance that the mirror of God's word may tell them something that's wrong with them and they don't like the feeling. That's why nobody talks about repentance. That's why we pick and choose. and People want to have a new edition of the Bible every, every time you blink your eyes. Let's have an updated version. Let's take out the blood of Jesus. That's a little bit too gory. That's offensive. Let's take out the parts in the word of God that have to do with homosexuality because that offends people. Pretty soon you'll have nothing left in the Bible at all. But whoever is willing to look into this book and let the mirror of the word show us, what happens when you look into a mirror in the morning? You see, ooh, boy, my hair is a mess. And you should then respond to that. You look in and say, ooh, I've got a bit of a blemish, a bit of an old pimple. And you ain't take care of it, hopefully. Ooh, I need to shave. Well, I missed the spot shaving. A mirror shows you the things that need to be dealt with. But if you are a hearer of the word, if you only hear the word and you never obey the word, then you're like somebody that looks into the mirror, sees all that's wrong, and turns and walks away. And you become less and less sensitive to the word of God and the spirit of God. Which is how we found our play, our, ourselves in the situation we're in today. The man who's chastened to the Lord will be done so out of the law and then he'll be taught. Because all scripture is given by inspiration as Paul was saying to Timothy. And is profitable for reproof. For, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. 
That's how to make something right. The word of God will show you what's wrong. That's reproof. It'll show you doctrine, what to believe. It'll show you what's wrong. It'll, that's reproof. It'll show you correction. Pardon me. It'll show you, um, yes, correction. That's how to, how to fix it. That's how good God is. He doesn't just point out the problems. He said, this is wrong. Fix it. And then instruction and righteousness. That's how to keep it right. But you know what? As long as you let this sit on your shelf and the only time you open it up is when you come into the tent, you will never be benefited from it. Never. You'll never be the blessed man because the blessed man is willing to be chastened by the Lord because he doesn't want to live as our, as our ungodly, blasphemous person has reminded us of unholiness. He doesn't want to live in unholiness. He wants to live a holy life. So he'll gladly take the chastisement of God and then he will be corrected. He'll be taught out of the law. Blessed is a man whom thou chasteneth, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. What we need more than ever is a revolution back to the word of God. That thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity. Do you know, we spend all of our days trying to find rest for our soul. And there's one place to get it in this book. Until the pit be digged for the wicked. Now, can I just remind you? God is going to deal with the wicked. It's coming sooner than you could imagine. And what we need is not to be to escape all of our problems. We need to rest until that day come. Rest in Christ. For the Lord will not cast off his people. Neither will he forsake his inheritance. Do you know who, what the inheritance of God is? His people. His name. His glory. But judgment shall return unto righteousness. And all the upright in heart shall follow it. Now, sometimes we, we think judgment's a bad word. Here it's a good word. Judgment will, ret will return unto righteousness and all the upright in the heart shall follow it. The question is, are you following the justice and judgment of Almighty God? Are you? Who will write? I love verse 16. Who? Listen, if you're not listening to anything, catch this. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? All through time, God has been looking for someone to stand up. I sought for a man amongst them, among them. I found none. Who will stand up for me? Who will rise up against the evildoers? Who will stand up and say, that's wrong? Who will stand up and say, no, do not let your children make such foolish decisions. Who will rise up and say, government, you are wrong. And you can put me in prison if you want to. But that is absolute. That is child abuse. Who will stand up and say to Mr. Sam, dressed up as Satan, that my friend, you're blasphemous. And unless you repent of your sins, you will forever be cast into hell. Who will do that? Well, you can't. That's a little bit harsh. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? 
unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. Know what he's saying? If God didn't help me, I would have become one of the multitude that said nothing and did nothing. There's only two kinds of believers right now. Those sitting down and those standing up. I don't mean physically here. Spiritually. Those sitting down and just sort of hoping for the best and just kind of keeping quiet and hoping that and being quiet and smiling and looking lovely that that all those who are aggressively attacking Christianity and aggressively pushing their agenda, hoping that maybe those those aggressors will look at our sweet smile as we sit there and do nothing and say nothing. And we hope that maybe they'll say, oh, what's different about you? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Satan, you know what Satan's trying to do? Have you ever, you ever watched, you ever seen when a flood comes in? When a flood comes in, it takes everything with it. The volume of water is so great and so powerful that it takes everything that is not established. Everything that is not rooted. Everything that, that does not have a sure foundation is taken with the flood. And the enemy has come in like a flood. And is taking with it everyone who even calls himself Christian but is not established. They're going with the flood. And my foot slippeth. Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? But can I tell you something? Verse 20 describes the Western world. Throne of iniquity. Throne of iniquity. Thrones of iniquity. Seats of power of iniquity. They frame mischief by law. They make legal that which is evil. And not only that, but they're not satisfied with simply passing laws which make that which is illegal, that which is evil, legal. But they, they want to impose it and push all those who do not go with the flow. They want to either make you go with the flow or altogether extinguish you. They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. There it is. And this is playing out before our very eyes. And you are totally ignorant if you don't see it. Oh, come on. That's, we're living in 2023. They're, they're not killing Christians anymore. They're not persecuting Christians anymore. They, look, they just want to do what they want to do. No, they want to do what they want to do and they want you to cheer them. And if you don't cheer them, you just watch. But the Lord is my defense. And my God is the rock of my refuge. 
and bring the floodwaters in if you want to, but I am hiding in the rock of Jesus Christ. Hiding in thee, hiding in thee. Thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. And unless you're hiding in the rock of ages, cleft for me. Unless you're hiding, your soul is hiding in Christ, you will be swept away. But my defense against the flood of iniquity and that which is blasphemous, my defense is God himself. And he is my rock and my refuge. And he shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. And God will be glorified. You say, but hold on, isn't he a loving God? Yes, he is. And that is proven by the fact that every worker of iniquity that repents and turns to Christ shall be saved. That's proven. Look at, look around you. Yes, God is good and he's a loving God. And we are the evidence of that because we once were just as wicked, just as steeped in iniquity and blasphemy and God in his mercy turned us. That's evidence of God's mercy and his love. But make no mistake about it. Do not think someone can live that way, die that way, and somehow just beg their way into heaven when they stand before him. The same people that say they're going to shake their fist in the face of God if there is a God when they meet him. Our God shall cut them off. I'm burdened more than ever for souls to be saved. I am burdened more than ever that our children will be rescued from such blasphemous, idolatrous role models that are poisoning the minds and hearts of young people. I'm burdened. I'm burdened for people to be saved their whole life from the time they were little children have, have been absolutely brainwashed, absolutely desensitized. I'm burdened for those people. All they've ever known and heard is the rubbish of this world. I'm burdened for those people. I am. But there's nothing in me right now that looks at a man dressed like a devil. Blast, spreading his blasphemy around the world. That doesn't, I'm not burdened for him. I do hope he repents. But I'm grieved that such a man would lead so many astray. So should you. And we can sit by and do nothing and say nothing or we can stand up. I love so many times in the Psalms we, we read, it is time for thee, Lord, to work for they have made void thy law. We read it over and over again. Lift up thyself, thy judge of the earth. Lord, how long shall the wicked triumph? This should be our prayer. And may God lead some of us to answer the cry of verse, verse 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Look, if we are walking in Christ and living in Christ and communing with Christ, you could not help but stand up because Christ is standing. Amen. And if you're in him and communing with him, you'd have to stand You'd have to stand. May God help us. The theme for this year's winter retreat is having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. I don't know that we've done all to stand. 
I don't know that we have. May the Lord help us and use us. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, we ask of Thee for forgiveness that we have not stood for Thee, that we have been too timid or shy to open our mouth, that we have let the enemy come in like a flood and we have gone with the flow. And we ask of Thee, Lord, to establish us in Thy Word, ground us in Thy Word, that we may be chastened where needed and instructed and taught how to stand in a compassionate way, but also in an uncompromising way. Give us a burden, Lord, for this lost world that is drifting further and further from Thee by the moment. Give us a burden for those whose minds are so blinded and hearts so darkened and alienated from the truth of Thy Word. Burden us, Lord, we pray, that we may spend and be spent for Thy glory, that we may seek the lost and warn them of the judgment to come and warn them to flee from the wrath to come by running to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us to go after as many souls as we can. And all along, Lord, establish us by the truth of thy word. Help this church to be established and standing, to be rooted and grounded in the truth, to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to be reminded of the words of Jesus that I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. Help us, we ask, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.